Let's pray together. Almighty God, we come to this day to remember and to learn, to remember the lessons of the past, the cost of war, the price of peace, the scope of human depravity, the extent of human sacrifice. Help us to learn those lessons and to live and work for peace, to fight only what is evil and corrupt, to serve and not count the cost, to give our all in the cause of a better world. Almighty God, we come to remember all you've done, your creative acts, your mighty deeds throughout history, your dealings with your people, your gift of Jesus, your love experienced in our daily lives. Remind us of all that we owe, lest we forget. And the tragedy is that we do forget all too easily. This annual remembrance is all too easily becoming a token gesture, observed sincerely and respectfully, but then finished for another year. Teach us to remember, not just today, but always. We forget sometimes how fortunate we are to live in freedom, how lucky we are to enjoy peace. We forget how some still suffer from the wounds of battle and others even now mourn loved ones. Would you help us also to realize that true peace is only found in you? That it's not just the absence of strife, but is life with you the way you intended it to be. We remember that Jesus' friends asked him to teach them to pray. And as we say those words together now, we realize that actually they are about peace. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Today's reading is from the book of Joshua, uh, reading from the start of verse 4. It can be found on page 218 of the Church Bible. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, What do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, 
the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. Now the priests who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed, the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, ready for battle in front of the Israelites, as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him all the days of his life, just as they had stood in awe of Moses. I'm going to read a few verses from uh, just a little bit later on in that story in the same uh, chapter, Joshua chapter 4. And uh, the priests came up out of the river carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Now, some of us don't like to be reminded of things and some of us don't like it when so quickly thereafter we're reminded of something that's just been said. But sometimes we need to be reminded And so there are two reminders in those verses. First of all, remember back to the very beginning almost when you came out and the Egyptians were coming and you went, oh no, let's go back. And God said, no, hang on a minute. Just get Moses to touch the water with his stick. And when he did that, the sea parted and you walked across and dry ground and God saved you. Well, here we are. You're coming to this new bit and here's more water and guess what happened? When you're all going, oh, what are we going to do? Because it was in flood. God says, I'll get you across and dry ground. And here's an opportunity for you to remember and to continue to remember. It was a time of transition and uncertainty for God's people. Moses was dead and Joshua has stepped into this new leadership role. And that's happened just as this new generation of Israelites are ready to cross over the Jordan and take possession of the land that God had promised them. God understands the feelings of his people, the anticipation and the anxiety. See, 
Some things don't change. Presbytery plan might not be exactly the same, but it brings anticipation and anxiety to many people. But there they are, they're at the edge of the river. And God parts it so that they can pass safely. And it says on the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And the temptation is to rush over that. And actually, that's what I was going to do. Because what I was going to do was talk this morning about the stones and setting up monuments and memorials. And, you know, here we are in, in a building that's called after the person who gave the money for the building. Now, there's a memorial if you really, you know, if you want one. But actually, what struck me was that there's something about that place. You see, we could have rushed on even further and got to the the fantastic story of Jericho, when literally the musicians and the singing brought the walls down. But we would miss something if we did that. Gilgal is more than just a spot on the map. It's more than just a place that they passed through on their journey further into the promised land. Gilgal was important to the people of Israel, to their life and to their faith. It may be that there was more than one at Gilgal. And actually, some people suggest it's, it's very ancient from thousands of years before this story. A, a kind of like Stonehenge-type place where there were monoliths in the ground where people had gone to worship. And, and maybe should be called the Gilgal. So if you were in your village, you would go to the Gilgal. I don't know whether that's true or not. But what I do know is that this place was known as Gilgal. And here are some events that took place at Gilgal. It was the first place that Joshua and the children of Israel camped after their crossing of the Jordan River. And then Joshua commanded the the one hand-picked leader from each of the 12 tribes to take this stone big enough that it was on his shoulder. And then they made it uh, a sign of remembrance of the miraculous crossing. At Gilgal, all of the Israelite men who had been uh, traveling through the desert, who had not been circumcised because they were in the desert, were told that when they got there, they were to be circumcised. And that was to rededicate themselves to God. It was renewing their covenant of circumcision with God. At Gilgal, the Israelites celebrated the Passover for the first time in the promised land. And the very next day, the manna that God had been providing for them every day stopped because now they were able to take the fruit of the promised land. At Gilgal, the Gibeonites, who were inhabitants of the land, deceived Joshua into making a treaty with them to save themselves from being slaughtered. Ah, that seems quite sensible to me, but that's what they did. Gilgal was also Joshua's base of operations for their initial conquest of the promised land. And also, a place where he honored the the treaty that the Gibeonites had, um, had forced them into by defending them from attacks of their enemies. One of my favorite stories, left-handed Ehud in the judges, one of the first judges, he uh, turned back from Gilgal to assassinate Eglon, king of Moab, who had attacked Israel uh, and imposed tribute on them. Gilgal was one of the places on the circuit that the prophet Samuel, the first leader after Joshua, to be recognized by all of the tribes. 
He traveled to Gilgal to provide judgment for Israel and to bring God's word to them. The kingship of Saul, the first king of Israel, was reaffirmed at Gilgal after Saul led a victorious campaign against the Ammonites. Gilgal was also where Saul then twice ignored God's command and he went ahead and worshipped. He made sacrifice without Samuel being there. And then God said through Samuel, that's your chance. Your line will not succeed and somebody else is going to become king. Then after David became king and his son Absalom mounted an unsuccessful revolt against him, David was greeted by the people and reaffirmed as the king in Gilgal. Many years later, Gilgal was the starting point of a pilgrimage that ended in the prophet Elijah being carried up to heaven in a whirlwind while his apprentice Elisha looked on. And then Gilgal was one of those places where Elisha began to establish himself as a great prophet to the people of Israel. Late in Israel's history, the prophets Hosea and Amos condemned the Israelites for their wickedness and their corrupt worship in Gilgal. And finally, in the course of calling the people of Israel to account for their abandonment of the Lord, the prophet Micah reminded them of God's care for them in their early days in Gilgal and elsewhere, and thereby brought them full circle back to where they had started at Gilgal, worshipping the Lord. And so we see that Gilgal was a place of rest. After 40 years of wandering, there was physical, emotional, and spiritual rest to be found at Gilgal. God refreshed his people there. It was a place of remembrance. They took the stones and they built the monument so that they would remember And God reminded them there of how he had blessed them in the past and would bless them again in the future if they followed him. Gilgal was a place of rededication. They they circumcised the, the men and the boys and they renewed the covenant with God that had been made before. He called them to renewed commitment. And Gilgal was a place of rededication. It was their base camp for conquest of the promised land. And it was where God gave them instructions as to how to go about taking the land that had been promised to them. Yeah, Gilgal meant much more to Israel than just a place on the map. It was a place where they met God and periodically when Israel needed to find its heart and soul again, they would return to Gilgal to ask God for rest, to remember his blessings, to rededicate themselves and to find new direction for their journey. Israel needed a place like Gilgal, and I think so do we. And so I have four questions, just very quickly, for you to think about. Are you weary? Are you emotionally and spiritually tired and worn out? Are you critical or forgetful? Do you think that God has left you or abandoned you? Are you spiritually cold? Do you care more for the things of the world than you do for the things of God and what's to come? Are you confused? Do you lack direction in your life? Well, just as Gilgal was necessary for God's people in their day, we need the the equivalent of spiritual Gilgal in our day. Matthew 11, 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. John 7, 38, Whoever believes in me, says Jesus, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And then John 16, 13, But when he, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He'll not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he'll tell you what is yet to come. Now, that's not some kind of spiritual fortune-telling. That's God leading and guiding his people. And if you're a believer this morning, you need to remember what God has done for you. You need to turn to him for rest and support and wisdom and strength and encouragement. You need to give him thanks and take time to be with him. And if you're not yet a believer this morning, the same advice applies to you. You need to get to know Jesus and all his benefits. Amen.